0: Uh, We pick up this morning in our look at uh, Proverbs, Uh, we're not going through the entire book, but we are looking at different things that are in there, and so uh, each week I've asked you to send in some family Proverbs. Um, I got one from Ken and Karen Ward, anytime something would get broken in the house, this is their proverb, you can have nice things or kids and pets. But <laughs> somebody say, "Preach it!" <laughs> so, uh, Carol Shoemaker sent in uh, a proverb that comes out of the Book of Proverbs that she saw was the experience of the home she grew up in and her own home. Proverbs twenty four three and four: By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Amen. Amen. And with that, we do want to turn to the book of Proverbs. And as we've said, uh, Proverbs are just very practical wisdom for daily living. They are the way that we land our following of Jesus. And uh, just been reminded in some of the passages that have come up this morning as the one that Stephen began the service with, of of, uh, Paul praying for the Ephesians there, that the God God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and in the knowledge of Him. And in fact, uh, we were praying through the end of Romans 11 earlier this morning, and how the wisdom of God is unfathomable. It, it just is, you, you, nobody moving from here will get to the wisdom of God. We're absolutely dependent upon God to give us his wisdom. And, and so Paul prays for that, and, uh, and we want to look to that this morning. And so we go to the book of Proverbs And we look and see what uh, wisdom is. Now, let me just give you a a quick reminder of what we have seen thus far. We have seen, here's a person. This can be any person. This can be me. This can be you. It'd be good for each of us to see this as ourselves this morning uh, as we go through the Scriptures just for personal application. And one of the fundamental realities that's so easily forgotten is that God created people, He created humanity, He created each one of us individually so that we might live in His love and live the life that He intends for us, which would be the fullest life that we could ever, ever live. Now... To do that, we desperately need wisdom. We need wisdom to know how to do that. How do we take what we know about God? How do we live that out? But as we've emphasized several times, even in the book of Proverbs, even in the world in which we live today where there can be some very practical wisdom that comes from people, God's wisdom is never intended to be separated from himself. His wisdom is always to be connected to who He is. And the book of Proverbs says this in a lot of different ways. Because He's not ultimately about us just getting life right. He's ultimately about us living the life in relationship with Him. That He might be our God and we would be His people. And so as we read through the Scriptures... The point is not just to know what to do and to do it. The point is to know God, to grow in the sense of His holiness, as we've sung about, to know in a sense that if I can only have one thing, give me Jesus, to, to, to hone us in on that beautiful reality that there's nobody like Him in His holiness. There's nobody like him in his beauty. There's nobody like him in the way he loves us. There's nobody like him who is so committed to us having life, abundant and eternal. And so the book of Proverbs emphasizes this relationship by using two particular phrases throughout the book. It uses the fear of the Lord and trust the Lord. The fear of the Lord is used 17 times in the book of Proverbs... Here's the first time Proverbs 1:7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction Very last use of the word fear in the book of Proverbs is concerning the fear of man The fear of man brings a what? Yeah, maybe we should just stop there. Just picture this. What is a snare? A trap that what is hidden that portrays it as something else so that before you realize it, you're in it and you're caught, right? That's a snare. And, and the fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Now we see the fear of the Lord and the trust in the Lord in just the opposite way in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? Why would that be? Yeah. Because He alone knows. He alone loves us. He alone can tell us what it looks like to live life to the fullest. And and the Christian life And coming to Christ is simply recognizing, well, coming to Christ is recognizing our heart is deceitful, and we're far from God, and we need God as our Lord and as our Savior. And then the Christian life is constantly him pointing out, oh, you haven't given me this part of your heart, give it to me. You haven't given me this closet, give it to me. You haven't given me this affection, give it to me. And that's just the Christian life, and that, that's a process we're all in if we know Christ until the way we die. And so trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That's the opposite of trusting Him with all our hearts. But here again we see this emphasis, in all your ways know Him. The point is to know Him, to know Him in His glories, to know Him in His beauty, to know Him in His discipline, to know Him in all of those different experiences in life. And it's out of a relational knowing of him and a cognitive knowing of him that he directs our paths. And he makes our pathways what? Straight, now it doesn't mean that it'll feel straight. (laughs) Because it often doesn't feel straight, does it? It's often kind of like, really God, really? but it is straight in the sense that it is the path of his love and of his life. It is the path and the place of abundance in relationship with him, in a wellness of our own heart and in relationships with other people. And then when we die, that instant glorification of going to be with him. 3.7 then uses the fear of the Lord. Do not be wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and turn away, uh, turn away, should be away, shouldn't it? Fear the Lord and turn away. Oh, well, sorry about that. Turn away from evil. I thought I copied and pasted that, but I think I was involved in that somehow. (laughs) Anyway, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's going to mess with me. Anyway, um, so what's the whole idea? Have a reverence for the Lord. Have a sense of His otherness, that when He speaks, it's not like anybody else speaking. And, and, And He really, He wants you to be on the right path. Have a fear of the Lord that if you get off the wrong path, He isn't just going to say, oh, that's okay. No, He loves too much. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, even as Hebrews says, to the point of scourging those. And and so it should create in us a fear of, oh, I don't want to miss out on anything the Lord has for me. Uh, That should be FOMO on a whole new level. Not wanting to miss out on anything the Lord has for us. And so, that is the general picture of what we're talking about here. Now, I have a chisel here, and uh, this chisel, and let's talk about the first chisel that was ever made. The first chisel that was ever made was made by somebody and designed and created for a specific purpose, right? Now, if you take this chisel, what was it designed for? To chisel what? Wood, that's important. Wood, and the first ones, uh, and a lot of them, are never even used to be used with a hammer. That would be considered abusive. You just use your hands. Now, can this chisel be used for other things? Yes, Yes, like what? Let's mention some of them. Opening a paint can. Opening a paint can, the voice of experience, yes. (laughs) Huh? A rock? Oh, chisel a rock, okay, on rock rather than wood. Breaking ice. Oh. Screwdriver. Screwdriver. Oh, pry open windows. There's the thief in the crowd. No. (laughs) I'm sure you just forgot your keys. (laughs) It can be used for all kinds of things. You could stab someone with it. Uh, (laughs) Did you say that? I'm sorry. It can be used for all kinds of things. Now, if you if you're one who values chisels, when most of these things were said, what happened inside of you? You just cringe. Why? Because that's not what a chisel was made for. And while it may accomplish the task, The chisel pays a price. It's abused. And it will bear the marks of that. And so it is with you and me. We were created by God for a purpose. Ultimately, that purpose was to bring glory and honor to Him. And He, in His wisdom, has made known how we are to think, how we're to speak, how we are to live, to bring glory to him, which actually is best for us and the people around us as well. But what happens because of our sinful hearts? What happens because we live in a fallen world? What happens because of Satan? We abuse ourselves. Jerry last week talked about the tongue. God gave us a tongue, why? to bless him and to be a blessing to other people. But what so often happens? We use our tongue to start fires, to inflame things, to hurt. Well, so it is in so many areas of our life. And it may seem like we're getting away with opening the paint cans. But there's a price that the chisel pays. In fact, there's a price the paint can pays. And so it is with us. Now, there are two topics in the book of Proverbs that we have not talked about yet that we're going to look at this morning. Two gifts that God has given to people that are misused and even seen as acceptable in our culture that bring great damage to the individuals. Great damage to our culture. And we cannot move on from the book of Proverbs without looking at the two of these. And if you've been reading through Proverbs, the main one throughout the book of Proverbs is misuse of sex. There's another one, the misuse of alcohol or being intoxicated, or under the influence. So, believe it or not, in the next few minutes, we're going to blast through both of these, and we're going to look at some of what it says about these two gifts that are misused so easily, and it can seem like often that there's no consequences, but I suspect I don't need to spend a lot of time talking to us about the consequences of the misuse of these two gifts. I think most all of us have personally experienced it, or we have loved ones who have experienced it, or friends or neighbors, or we read the obituaries, or, I mean, I was thinking about this, uh, Ted Pappas, police officer, Tells me almost every call they go on, alcohol and drugs are involved. Can you imagine how much we would save if we would adopt God's wisdom on this subject? And so it is all around us. I'm not going to spend any time making the case for that. But jump over to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Here we find these two right together, and so we want to look at them. So if you jump into verse 22 here, let me just point out something that is, that is repeated often. We've seen it often, um, which is kind of foundational to the book of Proverbs, where it says, uh, Proverbs 23, 22, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you the underlying understanding of the book of proverbs is that moms and dads love jesus they love god and they're spending a lot of time discipling and training their children to walk in his wisdom in a relationship where they trust the lord and fear the lord that's just understood throughout the book of proverbs and that's the context that it's in. And uh, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you moms and dads who recognize a primary responsibility you have is to disciple your sons and daughters, to know God and to trust Him with all their hearts and to walk in the fear of the Lord and in His wisdom. And then what often happens, it goes on and we read about the father and the mother or the father to his son it tends to be the primary example here of why do I need to spend this much time teaching you about God and his wisdom? Because there's all these things that want to suck you in. They want to pull your heart in. And so he says in 26, give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. Now he's not really talking just about Him as a father, but the Lord, because he's been teaching them the Lord's ways. Give your heart to God. Let your eyes delight in my ways. Why does he say that? Because there's things that want to pull your heart away. There's things that twinkle and will want to delight you. And if you're not proactive on this end, these will become delights to you. They will suck you away. They will gain access, and they will steal some of your heart, if not all of your heart. And so he goes on and he talks about the intimate relationships that are intended between a husband and wife, as well as being intoxicated. So he says, give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways, for a harlot is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. Surely she lurks as a robber and increases the faithless among men. So what's he saying there? He's saying when it comes to intimate physical relationships, immorality, any sexual relationship outside of a husband with his own wife a wife with her own husband is a deep pit or another thing it says here is a narrow well now that is terminology that is very common from the day of when you wanted to keep an animal or you wanted to entrap somebody what would you do you would dig a pit too deep for them to get out the narrow well is actually a well that's narrow at the top and wide at the bottom so you can keep them captured. They can have some freedom down there, but they aren't getting out. Any relationships, any sexual relationship outside of a man with his own wife and the wife with her own husband is a deep pit. It is a narrow well. In the scriptures, consent does not make it right. Now, it's good for our culture to emphasize consent. It's better than abuse and taking advantage of. But consensual relationships are still sinful. Consent doesn't make it right. Coming into a covenant relationship of a man and a woman as husband and wife makes it honoring to the Lord. That is the appropriate and only place that God made for those intimate, physical relationships. And our day has made it more sophisticated with all the stuff on the internet. That would also be a violation of this. Now the positive picture is back in in uh, chapter 5. go back to proverbs 5. now all of chapter 5 it's just a lengthier talk about this pit of sexual immorality in fact you might go up um, to verse 3 For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Now, let me say these are instructions from a father to his son. You can turn it around, and it's just as true for you daughters and ladies. The lips of an adulterer drip honey. And are smoother than oil is his speech. But in the end, he is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So just understand the application cuts both directions here. Absolutely cuts both directions. So here's the picture of the way God intended this gift to be used. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated or intoxicated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths." And so here, the well of flowing water is a husband with his own wife. A wife with her own husband and the phraseology is fairly graphic there of men shouldn't go about dispersing their springs wherever. And a wife should be a well for only her own husband. As you all well know, cisterns were very important in an arid region, and they could either be supplied by putting stuff into them or by a spring that would flow into them. And God characterizes the gift of intimate physical relationships between a husband and wife of a stream's flowing and of a cistern and how it is what to say fresh water streams or fresh water verse 15. fresh water what uncontaminated unpolluted no aftertaste i mean all kinds of things about this fresh water picture That's what God designed it to be. Here's a helpful quote I found. The man should not take his love and desire to anyone else by going out into the street or to the internet. The analogy implies that husband and wife fill and refresh each other, the one like a flowing stream and the other like a peaceful well. Sexual anarchy results when people cross over the bounds of fidelity. And boy, are we living in a day and age where that's true. And we must not be deceived into thinking it's okay. When you use something different than what God intended it to be used, there is always damage. Always damage. And so this word from Proverbs 7 is helpful. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman, or if you're a woman, man, From the adulteress with her or his smooth words. And so you can see the priority of affections here. The priority of affections is for wisdom. The priority of relationship is with wisdom. That should be our intimate friend. We shouldn't go looking for it any place else. Go back to Proverbs 23. And let's just wrap it up with how it's described there in verse 28 the misuse of the gift surely she this would be talking about a woman who's involved not with her own husband did not equally be used of a man outside of a relationship with his own wife lurks as a robber what do robbers do? they take things that are not their own for their own desires and sometimes for the demise of somebody else and increases the faithless among men there is no way to continue down a path like this and not move away from God no way now maybe you can pull off church attendance but that will probably go too Why? Because it's incompatible with knowing God. It's incompatible with fearing the Lord and trusting the Lord with all of our hearts. And our culture can say whatever it wants to say, but thus saith the Lord, who designed us and designed this gift and has prescribed for us how it is to be used for his glory and for the good of all those involved. All right, let's move on to alcohol. And we can include drugs in here. I mean, this has gotten a lot more sophisticated since the days in which this was written. Um, I read this quote about verses 29 through 35. This poem is a small masterpiece. It is surely the most effective combination of lampoon and lament over the sad state of the drunkard and the druggie. Let's read it together. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. And your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea. Or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I didn't even know it. When shall I wake? I will seek another drink. Well, sadly, many of us know what this is like. And again, many of us grew up in homes where uh, the physical relationship was violated and not modeled well, and some of us in homes where the abuse of alcohol was more common. And boy, don't these words ring true. Any of us have been down that road if you haven't been down that road, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 30, those who linger long over wine, you can put anything intoxicating in there. Don't think, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't like wine. I just like all the other stuff. I like marijuana. No, just put anything in there that takes you out of your own control. Those who go to taste mixed wine, wine was the most common drink of the day, and so they'd do all kinds of things to try to soup it up. Verse 31, do not look. I would just underline those words. Don't look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Once a person looks at the attractiveness of, of alcohol or drugs, there's no sense saying don't drink. They will drink. They will partake. It's too late. And the wisdom of God here is seen in saying, do not even look at it. If you play with fire, you get burnt. And so don't do it because it will bite like a serpent. Oh, how it changes its tune. Looks so attractive. Looks like it will provide a way out or or just a break. Oh, it comes back and bites like a serpent, stings like a viper. And what happens? Man, your eyes see strange things. Isn't it amazing how there's nothing new? Your mind will utter perverse things. You'll say things that you won't even believe you said. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. You're so out of control, you're like in the middle of the ocean, just getting thrown and tossed every which way. And you so lose perspective, it's like being in the mast of a tall ship that experiences every motion of the ship. They struck me, but I did not become ill. I didn't even realize it. They beat me, but I didn't know it. I mean, this really doesn't need any commentary, does it? When shall I awake? When am I gonna get out of this? And then as soon as you come out of it, what happens? When can I get the next drink? When can I get the next fix? The perverseness of the human heart And our ability to use things in ways that God never intended. Alcohol and drugs misused are just a death by degrees. Death by degrees to our own body and to other people. Go over to Proverbs 31. Last proverb in the book of Proverbs. A couple special things about this proverb. It's the words of a mother to her son which most of the rest of the Proverbs are either David to um, Solomon or Solomon to his sons. But here we say, verse one, the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. And and notice what she taught her son. Oh, for more mothers to teach their sons like this. And how grateful I am for you moms who have taught your sons and daughters like this. What, O my son, and what, O son of my womb? I mean, I brought you into this world. And what, O son of my vows? Evidently, she had made a commitment to the Lord that if the Lord gave her a son, she would faithfully raise him up to know him and to walk in his ways. Do not give your strength to women. Do not give your strength to women. Now, she goes on, I believe she did all of this proverb in verses 10 through 31, to talk about what kind of wife you should find. And it's every you spend your strength with that kind of woman, ooh, it's going to be multiplied back to you. I found one like that. Man, how blessed I am. I can't even tell you I knew what I was looking for. God just knew He needs help. And so, don't give your strength. Don't don't put your strength in a place where it just goes down a rat hole, and there's nothing to see for it. This is the kind of a woman to look for, and women know women. She knew what kind of wife her son needed. Or your ways to that which destroys kings. Oh, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to those, to him who is perishing, and wine to him whose life is bitter. You say, so why did God give things that intoxicate? It's a gift to those who are in pain and perishing. We would see this as the medicinal uses. Aren't you grateful that there's things that numb you when you undergo surgery? Aren't we grateful that there can be help to, to get through a particularly dark season of our life? It's never intended to be a substitute for the Lord. Now, obviously, when it comes to this, the idea is since we cannot trust our own hearts, trust somebody. Who knows the effects of that alcohol or that drug, and somebody who cares about you. But they are a good gift that God has given to us. And so, the good gift of alcohol and drugs is so easily misused. Now, these are not just some quaint sayings for a bygone era, they're just not. And uh, again, I don't think I have to make any point about the cost of immorality and drugs and alcohol. In most of our families, extended to some extent, most of us don't have to go very far out to see the negative consequences. And if you do, you are uniquely blessed. And certainly in our culture, Can you imagine how our politics, I thought thought about this this morning, can you imagine how our politics would change if everybody never got intoxicated and only had a relationship with their own wife or their own husband? I think we would really be caring about the poor and those who are the weak and needy in our culture. The ramifications are unbelievable, but we wanna look at our own lives and see where we're at this morning Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Corinth was much like we are today, and he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Ongoing behavior like that indicates no relationship with God. No relationship with God. If a person is in a relationship with God, that will change. That will change. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus, things are going to change. And I'm sure grateful for the last part of this verse. Such were some of you. Isn't that a great phrase? It means I'm in there. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. We have a redemptive God, don't we? We have an amazingly redemptive God. And, And that's what I want those of you to hear who are involved sinfully, let's call it what it is, in either the sexual arena or in alcohol and drugs. We have an amazingly redemptive God. And he doesn't want you just to clean it up and get it right. He wants you to know him. He wants you to walk in a relationship with him. He wants you to live life in his love and experience the fullness of the life that he has for you. And so how do you do that? First of all, call it what he calls it. Call it what he calls it. Fornication, adultery, drunkenness. Our culture has a way of relabeling things to make it seem less sinful. Call it what it is and recognize that he's the God who can save you from that. He can turn your heart and he can change you. And that's the call to each and every one of us today. If we happen to be in one of those places today, you're at the right place. Because we have a redemptive God. And he wants you to move into that. I would suggest for those of us that have children, there's an excellent tool out to help us move them into purity. And it's called Passport to Purity. And I would highly recommend it. Very embarrassing to go through but very helpful to make sure that our sons and our daughters walk down this road. Well, would you bow your heads, please? Spirit of God, you know where each one of us are at on both of these issues and I know that some here today are saying, wow, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought me out of those sins and you have put me in a place where I can enjoy the gift, or I have enjoyed the gift in the way that you have intended it. But Lord, I pray specifically for those that recognize that they have crossed the boundaries that you've set on these gifts. Spirit of the living God, I want to thank you that you can apply a work of Christ and of grace and of repentance and that's what we ask you to do thank you that sin does not have to have the final say that your redemption your resurrection and heaven can have the final say and so Lord where they need to say to someone today I'm stuck This is my battle. I pray that they would do that for their own sake. And I pray for those of us, probably all of us to some extent, who are discipling people to devotedly follow you in these two areas. God, give us the grace, give us the wisdom of how to help them trust in you with all of their hearts and not lean on their own understanding and all their ways to know you so you can direct their paths into the holy use of these amazing gifts that you have given. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.